Please pray with me. Lord God, I pray that your spirit would fall powerfully upon us this morning, that you would pour out your grace upon us, that you would place your words in my mouth, Lord, and that you would speak to our hearts, that we might love you better, Lord, that we might serve you closer, Lord, and that we might follow you all the days of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Please be seated. So good to see you all today on this bright and shiny summer morning. Now, I have before me, and you have before you too, two bananas. If you were picking one of these to eat, which one would you pick? This one right here? The nice squishy brown one? No, it's kind of like pudding inside of it. Right? You could just squeeze it into a bowl or something. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. I, I tried to make it look bad. I didn't think it was going to look this bad. But I have, before you choose the nice-looking one on the outside, know that I accidentally squished it this morning. So the outside might look all right, but the inside is pretty gnarly, too. So which one would you pick? Still pick that one? The squished one? I'd go to the store and get another one. Personally, if I had to pick between these two... I don't like a squished banana, no matter how it is. I mean, I don't mind it in, like, you know, banana pudding or something like that. But, like, not for eating, man. That's gross. You know, so you really have a choice here between two bad bananas, right? And you don't want to choose between two bad bananas. You want to just go get a new good banana. But sometimes there is that choice between two bad bananas. And I think that's what's going on in the Old Testament lesson for today, right? You got the two bad bananas, Jacob and Esau. And so in this passage, we have the account of the birth and early life of these two paragons of virtue, Jacob and Esau. Uh, These are the children of Abraham, for whom God had promised descendants as many as stars of the sky. But from the very beginning, it is clearly presented to us that the going is not going to be easy. During her pregnancy with him, Rebecca is going crazy because... The children struggled within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? That's not a good sign, is it? Right? That things are going to go nice and smooth from then on out? No, bad sign, right? Kids are already fighting inside the womb. There's already bad things going on within them. And so she says, God, what's going on here? And things don't get any better at this point. Because God says, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. Now I'll give you a little heads up at this point. This prophecy does not bode well for future family reunions. (laughs) Right? Sitting around eating potato salad. Right? Things are not going to be good between Jacob and Esau at that point. Because according to the Lord, from these two are going to come these two nations. And the nations are going to be at war with one another. And sure enough... From birth, there appeared to be issues. According to the passage, the first one came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle. That's just disgusting. Uh, So they named him Esau, right? Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. So here are the two brothers. The progeny of Abraham, the hope of the world... Right, the one the, He said, through your descendants, all the nations will be blessed. Here they are. One of them comes out looking like an orangutan. And the other one is already trying to seize his brother's place. Right, He's got a hold of his heel. He's holding on for dear life. As is often the case, 
These differences, which were there at birth, are not reconciled in the youth of these two young men. Jacob likes it inside with mommy. Esau likes it outside with dad hunting. Mom likes Jacob. Dad likes Esau. The family's divided about the children even. Not just of the children fighting, but the parents are divided about them. One has their favorite. The other likes the other one better. Uh, One is scheming and conniving. The other is brash and crass. So which one would you pick to form the nation of Israel out of? If you had to pick between the one with the nice outside, mushy interior, or the one with the nasty outside and the mushy interior too, which one would you pick? I'd have another kid. And I'd be like, maybe the third one's the charm. Right? But that's not an option, apparently, at this point. Neither of them seem like the sure foundation in which you would plant a nation. Right? None of them seem like the one you're like, that is the kid that I want to build a nation out of. Right? Did any of you have that kind of inclination when you heard the, the description of those two? You're like, whew, that's an obvious leader. We want his children to take care of the world from now on out. No, none of them, right? They're both of them. It's like you have to choosing between these two, and both of them are damaged goods. But the remarkable thing is, is that God seems to be in the business of picking unlikely people to do his work in the world. God seems to relish choosing damaged goods to glorify his name. This makes perfect sense, though, when you think about it. It doesn't make much sense to us like on, on you know, just the surface. But when you look at it a little deeper, it makes sense that the Lord would do it this way. Because if God choose, chose a perfect person to do great things, it's easy for that person to think that they'd done it based on their own natural skills, abilities, and talents. Right? You know, somebody who's automatically already good at it, they don't need to ascribe it to anything else. They can just say, I succeeded because I'm great. Anyone ever felt that way? Oh, come on, I'm sure you have. Right? You know those times in your life where you're like, this is clearly in my skill set, not a problem here, success is guaranteed. You know, so that's one side of it, is, is that kind. You know, so if God chose those perfect people to do things, it, it, they're able to think that it, they chalk it up to their own skill and ability. But if he uses a broken person to do great things, that person knows that it was only because of God's grace that they succeeded. Right? If great things are done by somebody who is clearly insufficient in their own mind, if, if they understand that, then they are able to say, the only reason I succeeded was because God made me able to do it. To him be the glory forever and ever. For instance, we'll use me as an example. Right? If I'm sitting with a couple in a premarital counseling session, and the Lord gives me an illustration to help them understand the wonderful mystery of Christian marriage, I know that it's not from me because I'm not a skilled marriage counselor. Right? I don't know anything about premarital counseling. So, is anybody going through that with me right now? I don't want to show my hand at this point. Right? You don't get taught this stuff in seminary. They don't have premarital counseling 101 that you have to take. Right? You don't get those skills. So... So I just have to say, honestly, like, I don't know what I'm doing. But when God gives me the things I need to know for that session, I'm able to say, thank you, God. Thank you. Because I came in here not knowing what I was going to do, but you provided for me exactly what I needed to say. 
If I'd had all the training in the world, it would be easy for me to ascribe that to my own skills, abilities, and the hard work that I'd done, I'd put into it. But no, because of I'm so incompetent, God is able to, I'm able to give God glory. <laughs> Anyone want to go through premarital counseling with me now? Because <laughs> we have a great time. Right? And so what I'm able to do is say, at the beginning of my sessions, I say, look, I don't have any training. I'm honest like I am right now with you all. I say, I don't have any training in this. What I do know is grace, I know love, I know forgiveness, and I know reconciliation. And so we can work with those things. And you can build a, you can build a marriage on those. But I don't know all the cool tips and tricks and little like, you know, kind of like what's hot in premarital counseling at the time. You know, cutting edge kind of stuff. That's not my skill. But grace, forgiveness, mercy, and love. I got those ones. And so we do all right on those. So, um, based on that, right, my lack of skill allows me to give God glory for the things he does inside of me and through me. And he's doing the same things inside of you all, too, each and every day. He is taking you wherever you are, and he is using those insufficiencies inside of you to glorify his own name. He is sufficient where we are completely insufficient. And because of that, we give him praise and glory. This revelation, this revelation that I'm not worthy, but God does worthy things through me, this points me to my Redeemer, who does great things through his people. This reality is played out in ways great and small each and every day in our lives. But these instances all point back to one reality. The reality that, that these point to is the redemption that Jesus Christ enacted for us on the cross. Right? The cross shows uh, many things, but one of the key things that it shows is that where we were unable to redeem ourselves where we were insufficient, Jesus Christ stepped in and was sufficient for us. He did what we could never do so that through his faithfulness, we can receive the grace of God. That is what all these instances in our lives are supposed to point to. They're supposed to give glory to God, to point to his ultimate victory on the cross and his work within our lives. That's why he gives us these successes. That's why he does these great things through us broken people. Is that so we'll realize that he is the one who is worthy of all praise. And we will turn ourselves over to him in joy and glory in his name. That event and each of these events in our lives guide us to the place where Jesus Christ has done what none of us could ever do for us. So that we could have the gift of freedom that the law, that our own sufficiency, could never provide for us. Which is why I love this story of Jacob and Esau so much. I love it because it's so purely human. Right? It is, you know, like if you were writing this thing, I would never think to put, like, make Esau covered in red fur. Right? You know, that's just, he's just a hairy dude. Like, those things are just so rich and cool and amazing because it shows that God uses all kinds of people to carry out his plan and to make Jacob grasping the heel and to make him stealing away the birthright of Esau. All those things, all those ways of brokenness that God shows us in this passage, they all show us that God is in the business of using hurting people to bring about his healing in the nations. And so for us, as we read this story today, May we be people who come and maybe be people who come to God and say, Look, God, I know I'm one of these bananas, right? 
I might look, I might either look bad on the outside and be bad on the inside, or I might look all right on the outside but be mushy on the inside. We're one of those things, every one of us. We're all insufficient in some way or other. No matter how successful we've been in our lives, no matter how much people might like us, no matter how much uh, we fake the funk and look good, you know, all of us, when you dig deep enough, we're mushy. When you squeeze us hard enough, you realize what we're made of. And there is insufficiency there. And that realization, that honesty, should drive us to Jesus Christ, where we realize our full sufficiency, where we find our hope, where we find our redemption, where we find life and joy and meaning and purpose, and where we also, therefore, become a part of his plan to redeem the world. Because it was through Jacob, it was through this conniving, scheming guy that God enacted his plan of salvation. Because it was by his descendant, Jesus, that we all achieve eternal life. And so may we give glory to God today that he chooses broken people to do his perfect work in this world. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you that you are using us today to do your powerful stuff in this world. Lord, I pray that we would honestly approach your throne room Lord, knowing that we are insufficient, but realizing, Lord, that even in the very moment of knowing how weak we are, Lord, that is when we are at our strongest, because that is when you can do your greatest work through us. Lord, help us to be weak for you, but strong through the power that you give us. Lord, and may we serve you in this world humbly, giving glory to you as our Lord and Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.